Are you on the RCR mailing list? Never miss a beat of the news and hard-hitting stories you've come to know and love. Stay in the loop. Visit realitycheck.radio forward slash email. This is Reality Check Radio. It's a Friday afternoon with Peter Williams. Let's now talk about a book called Fraud, Plunder, Treason and Our Treaty. The author is a man who lives near Auckland. His name is Chris Newman, and he joins me now. Chris, fraud. We record this, by the way, on the day when uh, Te Pāti Māori is organising protests up and down the country in, in, in opposition to government policies. But your first word of the book's title is fraud. Why, why is it a fraud? Why is the treaty a fraud? In 1975, Peter, when the party uh, in power, the Labour Party, uh, Minister Matthew Rada passed a document into law, the Treaty of Waitangi. He put the Maori Treaty in, which was fine, but the so-called English Treaty is not a treaty It's uh, uh, that he used. It's a, um, a report by a man called James Freeman, who was a secretary to Captain Hobson. He had no authority, so his word... His words are not a translation or a draft. And since the government entered a fraud in 1975 and is bound by its own legislation uh, under the Crimes Act, it's a fraud. That's why now, the, all these years later, we're seeing demonstrations in the streets and people running around crying and wailing about the treaty and saying, honour the treaty, because there is a fraud at the heart of everything. And until that's resolved... This uh, misunderstanding and abuse of our system will continue. Now, I'm all confused here. In 1975, yes, the Labour government of the time passed the Treaty of Waitangi Act. Uh, and yes, that's, that's correct. established the Waitangi Tribunal to investigate breaches of the treaty. At that stage, only going back as far as 1975, uh, that was later amended, what, 10, 11 years later, whereby claims about breaches of the treaty could go back to 1840. We know all that. We know all that. But yep. what you're saying is that whatever was entered into the Act, the Treaty of Waitangi Act in 1975, was not the English version of the Treaty of Waitangi. Is that essentially what you're saying? Correct, Peter. The document written by Mr Freeman has language, 180 extra words that are not in the tra translation from the Maori and not in the original draft that was um, written by a man called James Busby just two days before the treaty was uh, um, signed. He did the English version, which we call the draft, which was translated by the Williams missionaries. I don't know if they're relatives of yours. No, they're into, not, but um, uh, I'm prepared oh. to claim them. But father and son, they, 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 they'd been in New Zealand for a good number of years by that stage, hadn't they, and were well-established and well-trusted, I understand, inside the Māori community. Peter, they had been here 17 years, and the young the young Williams arrived when he was three, so he was 20. He'd lived 17 years full immersion inside Ngāpui. These, uh, these, this, this family and these missionaries knew the language better than any contemporary could, better than any university professor, better than the than any of the um, so-called Maori speakers of today. They were much more advanced. Furthermore, they had written the um, 
in, in Maori, the Bible, the New Testament and the Old Testament, they were very, very careful about their translations. And also William's family produced the first Maori dictionary in 1845. This is the official uh, best dictionary ever done. It had 17,000 words in it. And it, even today, people look at it as the best, modern scholars see it as the best um, version of Maori ever done. And the additional um, about 8,000 words added on since 1845 are basically English words uh, tra- just just given Maori sounds. It was like miti for meat or yeah, taone. Sure, sure. Okay, town, we're, we're, we're getting off on a bit of a tangent here, Chris. Well, let, <laughs> it's let, all right. No, no, you, let, you just let, press my buttons. Let's go back. <laughs> let's go back then to 1975. So what you're saying is that when the Treaty of Waitangi Act was established... Uh, yes. There was the Tereo version, the Māori version, as translated by the Williamses, father and son. That was yep. put into the Act. Yep. And what you're saying is that the English version of the treaty was not the original English version from which the Māori translation had come. Is that what you're claiming? Uh, there's a bit more than that, and it's a fact. A, the Freeman document is not a draft, and B, it is not a translation. What is is it then? Mr. Freeman, sorry? What is it then? It's Mr. Freeman's report. He wrote a kind of a report to his friends and circulated it. It was not authorised by Captain Hobson. Um, It was not what was given to the Maori chiefs and tribes to sign. It was not the um, official approved anything, because the only person who had any authority was Captain Hobson. But Chris, and what Captain does that Hobson was, what, what does that matter? What does that matter? Because the the treaty so, as signed by the chiefs in eighteen forty, both at Waitangi yep. and in, in subsequent locations, it was the <clears throat> it was the Maori version which was important. So why That's does correct. it matter that this English report is in yep. the act? Because then now you're getting right to the nub of it. The English report has two diff- massive differences from the Titiriti of Waitangi and Māori. Number one, it talks about lands and estates, forests and fisheries. First point, those are not mentioned at all in the Titiriti of Waitangi. Second, it says um, the Queen of England and uh, the Māori people. Sorry, there were three signatories, not two. There were three participants, not two. The, the participants in Te Tiriti Waitangi are the chiefs and tribes, all the people of New Zealand, and Queen Victoria. Three, really? not two. There was really? no partnership. Uh, yes. Why do you say that? How, how can you say that? Because the, 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 the treaty, as signed in 1840, uh, and we've seen it in the preamble uh, of subsequent translations particularly one done by the Waitangi Tribunal in 1986, Sir Hugh Kafaru, uh, there is a preamble uh, which says uh, this treaty is between Queen Victoria, i.e. the Crown, and the chiefs, the, the Confederation of Chiefs and New, of New Zealand and other chiefs who may or may not be members of the Confederation. So it's a, it's a two-party partnership, is it not? Uh, no, the language is quite specific, and I go to the Maori because it was Maori is what we we agreed on. Everyone agreed in Maori. The chiefs and tribes agreed in Maori. The settlers knew that the English um, translation what that was all about. It talks about the um, 
Um, <laughs> Rangatiriki na hapuki. Right? So the chiefs, Rangatiriki na hapuki. Okay, that's the that's the tribes. Na tangata katoa o nutirani. Na katangata katoa means tangata means the people, all of the people of New Zealand. So the three groups: Rangatiriki na hapuki na tangata katoa o nutirani. Three groups, three participants. And it's the queen, not the crown. It's the queen in her role as regent, not as a corporation. She is a living people, as are the people of New Zealand, as the chiefs and tribes. It's not a corporation. It's not a contract. It's a invite. It's consent to accept the English, the not English, sorry, the British common law and all that comes through the portal of the treaty to civilise New Zealand, which at that time was a frontier, a wild place. The chiefs knew exactly what they were getting into. Many of them had even been to London or Sydney and had long experience with the, um, with the British administration. That Certainly the, um, the people of New Zealand, the Tangata Katoa, there was about 2,000 settlers here plus sealers, whalers. They knew what was going on. And, um, of course, the Queen was represented by Captain Hobson, he had specific instructions from Lord Normanby to get the, quote, the free intelligent consent of the natives expressed according to their established usages. And this was so that the place could be governed. The treaty is not about entering um, administration. It's getting consent to begin. So there are no contractual terms or obligations anywhere in there for anybody. And there is nothing about forests and estates um, forest and fisheries, lands and estates, or any partnership. This is an invention. Well, and the, this is, the um, invention, the, the word partnership, of course, came from the court case in 1987, and it was a, uh, a, a phrase which was actually akin to a partnership. It didn't say it was a partnership. It was Lord Cook, no, wasn't it, in, in his judgment. But more to the point, Chris, Lord, yeah. Yeah, more yeah. to the point, what's the issue here? What is the issue here? Well, well, it means that there is no grounds for any um, Waitangi tribunal claims or handing stuff over or taking assets from the people of New Zealand, which are all of our shared assets, and we're all people of New Zealand now, and handing them over to specific corporate iwi entities. There is no foundation in the treaty anywhere. And so when the, when the government entered the fraud in 1975, the, the so-called uh, Waitangi tribunal wasn't going to be hearing any cases prior to 1975, and the whole thing was swept under the carpet for 10 years. That's right, and that's but, when the Act was changed in, in 1986 by the Longy, right. the, the David Longy Labor government, and that allowed claims and, back and, to 1840. Yeah. But surely... Jeffrey Palmer. Yeah, surely. But surely, Chris, mm -hmm. surely, Chris, mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. is a case for claims... Uh, because of breaches of the treaty during the latter years of the 19th century and into the 20th century, whereby land was confiscated from iwi and it was confiscated illegally and without proper contracts. Therefore, surely some compensation, some reparation is due. And frankly, there are very, very few people in New Zealand who disagree with that concept. Uh, that's fine. You can. That's a separate topic from the treaty. That's got nothing to do with the treaty. That well, is it does because of, because the the Waitangi uh, Tribunal is about hearing breaches of the treaty. 
But it's only <laughs> the breaches it refers to as lands and estates, forest and fisheries. And those are not mentioned in Te Tiriti o Waitangi. There's nothing in there about lands and estates, forest and fisheries. The administration of, the, of, of, of New Zealand came subsequent to the treaty and therefore should be dealt with under other laws which were developed afterwards. Got nothing to do with the treaty. But Chris, but Chris there was also in 1989 the discovery of what we now know as the Littlewood Treaty. Now, Correct. there is a watermark on that particular document yep. which suggests that that was paper uh, manufactured in use in 1840. Therefore, it is a genuine document found Absolutely. In, in bizarre circumstances somewhere in, in South Auckland in 1989. Yep. It is written yep. in English and it is yep. now believed by many people, although it's yep. not the official government way of thinking, it is believed by many people to be the actual English version of the Treaty of Waitangi. Do you agree with that? It's the draft. Excuse me. It's a draft that was never issued to anybody to sign. It's the draft which was used, and there's nothing in it about lands and estates, forests and fisheries, or partnerships or anything like that. But nothing to do with those. But things. it is the document from which the Williamses, father and son, mm. translated yep. into Terea, translated Te Tariti into Terea. Is that is that the case? That's what we believe, and in fact, if you use the Williams Dictionary of 1845 and match it to the Busby um, draft of the 4th of February, 1840, and uh, they line up perfectly. It's a one-to-one -one match. So that's, what, that's how we can feel so confident using that original dictionary written by the, the Williams and the Maori, Maori Te Tiriti o Waitangi, we've got 100% we've got match, and there's nothing in there about lands and estates, forest and fisheries, um, and so-called partnerships or rangatira well, tanga yeah, or we, any of this yeah, we, we, we know that partnerships, we know the word partnership does not exist anywhere in the treaty, but there yep. is in Article 2 of the treaty, uh, why it might not say lands and forests, estates and fisheries, it does say Maori, Maori land, you know, the rangatira tanga well, well, can control their own lands and estates, does it not? It says the possession of their lands, dwellings and all their property. Well, That's the possession of their stuff, what they hold. Yes, including they, their land. They yeah. the, so therefore when their land was confiscated, they were surely entitled to compensation in later years because that treaty was breached by the Crown or by British settlers, subsequent settlers to New Zealand from Britain. Is that not true? No, because this is not a contract. This, is an, this, this particular treaty is asking consent of the locals to be governed. Once they, get, once they give the consent, then the rules and laws which relate to land ownership and so on come into action. Subsequent to this thing, this is not actually um, anything more than a consent. It's not, it's, you can't violate it. It's just asking, do the people, the chiefs and tribes, consent to British rule? And if so, there'll be a guarantee. Now, that guarantee would be enforced by subsequent laws which would be put in place by the new legislation which started in 1841 in May when um, Governor Hobson instituted the first um, assembly in Auckland of what was the you know the seeds of government here. And the, one of the first things they did was set up a land 
um, outfit to try and settle um, this 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 um, whole matter of land ownership, and that that's where the you get into your land issue. That follows from there. It's not the treaty itself. The treaty's consent. Like if you, it's like an engagement. You know, an engagement is not the same as a marriage. And this treaty is an engagement that gets the parties into agreement that they could consent to the introduction of British common law, which brings in the Magna Carta, the Bible, and all the British tradition. And that would be that was what was established in New Zealand. It's got nothing to do with Rangatiratanga. And the, so the lands that they could control, that the chief, that the chief could control in 1840. Um, was <laughs> just a couple of k around his pa, he, just where he could run with his warriors and beat people up. And we've got to remember, well, Peter, except, the except of- Chris, except Chris, that yep. in 1840, as you say, the population of New Zealand was was minuscule, tiny, two thousand yep. uh, settlers, along with some whalers and sealers, and the total Maori population, well. Some estimates say there were 100,000, others say there were 20,000. In other words, there were very few people living in New Zealand. But the point is, the point is, Māori and their descendants had been here since the 1200s, right? That is, uh, that's an established archaeological, anthropological fact. So Māori people and their descendants have been here since the, the 13th century. Therefore, they surely had claim to land because there was nobody else here. They had claim. Yeah. They had claims to these lands. Settlers came along, took some lands off them, with or without compensation. Therefore, there were breaches of uh, an arrangement. There was illegal acquiring well, well, of land by British settlers. Was there not? Oh, look! There's all sorts. This is a very complicated topic. <laughs> you I, think? I, could, I just. I keep it to the treaty itself because the treaty doesn't is not actually a contract about land, but it guarantees that under British law these matters will be administered, and that's what came next after the 1840 event. The but it took a long time to get it going because there was no roads, nothing, and who knew what was what. And by the way, prior to 1840, there'd been the musket wars which had devastated the country, and the um, chiefs and tribes had set against each other chiefs and tribes and decimated the population. We think 30 to 40% were killed and eaten over that period. And um, what happened to the land ownership and all that during that turmoil is another topic, and nobody at the time knew what was what. All the Taranaki people had headed off to Wellington because the Waikato people came through and devastated the area, and claimed it, and then they went back to the Waikato, and the Taranaki was totally empty. There was nobody living there. There might have been 40 or 50 people hiding in the bush. And so when when the settlers came in, there was nothing there, and so they moved in. And then some of the remnants, the survivors, the refugees who had survived the genocide, came back up from Wellington and said, this is ours. And so there was attempts made to to sort that out. Bear in mind, Peter, this is an extremely um, turbulent area, and the people that that were uh, running the tribes were, were strong characters, and they are not the same people we're dealing with now. The chiefs and tribes of 1840 are not the same people in New Zealand in 2023. We've got a whole mixing of bloodlines. So so-called Maori people have got white people ancestors. So that it's between their ancestors to sort it out, not us. Why should we, in 2023, 
be playing around with people who pretend they're the tribes of 1840. They're not. And making claims against the treaty, which is not, it's a, it, the treaty is a consent document. It's not a legal binding contract. There was no exchange of goods. It doesn't fit any of the legal contract requirements other than a consent to govern. That's it. You, you can read it. And yeah, see, Lord yeah. Robin Cook did us a disservice in, 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 in 1986 or 87 when he tried to interpret the treaty as if it was a commercial document. He made a huge mistake. Well, the problem the Queen... he had, the problem he had, Chris, was that uh, Geoffrey Palmer, very short time he was the New Zealand Prime Minister, Geoffrey Palmer yeah. inserted this phrase into the State-Owned Enterprises Act in, when was it, 1986 or thereabouts, this phrase called the Principles of the Treaty of Waitangi and right. basically told his parliamentary colleagues, it's just a phrase, it doesn't mean anything well, that, yeah. of course, has just absolutely set the cat amongst the pigeons for the best part of 40 years, and that's why we're having an argument in 2023, and that's why, <laughs> <laughs> as as we speak, there are people out on the, the streets of New Zealand protesting about uh, a parliamentarian, uh, the leader of one of the government parties, David Seymour, who wants to introduce an act to actually define these principles of the Treaty of Waitangi, which, in my mind, is a piece of work which is only about 40 years overdue because when that phrase, the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi, was inserted into legislation back in the mid-1980s, they should have defined what those principles were. That's that's my thinking. Instead, we've left it up to judges to somehow define or, or explain what these principles are. And as a consequence, yeah. we've got ourselves into, frankly, an, un, an unholy mess, have we not? But well, Peter, let's have a go at that. I'd, would you like to go through what the principles of the treaty are with me? <laughs> would you like to hold my hand and guide me? Well, the, 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 the principles, as the principles uh, as written according to the conditions of the Public Interest Journalism Fund, and again, talking of tangents, I apologise <laughs> for going off on that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. The principles are partnership, uh, participation, and protection. Right, let's get down to facts. In 1840, the the treaty itself, and I don't I don't think there's any argument about this, was a um, an English uh, a British common law document, and it wasn't a legal it wasn't an actual legalistic contract. It was written by missionaries, not by lawyers. And it well, was it was written. It was written by the British resident in the first place, was it not? Busby, you've talked about that, and then yeah. Hobson. Well, he, Hob, Hobson offered oversight to it, and, and the final okay. English version was surely approved by yeah. him. So, so yeah, but okay, Captain Hobson was operating on instructions from Lord Normanby, and Lord Normanby, as I read earlier, said that things had to be done according to the established usage and the free, intelligent consent of the natives. So um, the missionaries were the ones who were deeply involved, and Captain Hobson went to them. And so Busby was involved, and everybody drafted this. Now, the principles of British common law are very simple. They're, the, they're like the um, golden rule. Treat others as you would be done by. Do no harm, commit no foul, cause no loss, and take responsibility for your own actions. So we are talking about principles which are like axioms, and the axioms which underpin the law are summarised often in the maxims of law, but these are, these are the principles of the common law that was being applied by the missionaries. Nothing about those 
those words you used earlier were from the Labour Party. Now, at the time, let's talk about the Maori principles. So they had, in their tribal law, they had rangatiratanga under the tikanga. Rangatiratanga was the might of the chief, and they, and they decide what's right, and that the tribe goes along with it. And mana is your standing status and ego. Utu is reciprocity, payback, and revenge. Tapu is a holy story or a superstition, and muru is plundering or taking from others. Those are the principles which led New Zealand to bloodshed for 40 years under the musket wars. And they were not working for the chiefs and tribes. So they were willing to surrender their principles and go under the British principles, which was treat others as you'd be done by, do no harm, commit no foul, cause no loss, and take responsibility for your actions. That was it. That mm. was the principles. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as common sense. And it's sort it's of not political. It's sort of like what David Seymour is trying to introduce in 2023 yeah, but, as his treaty oh. principles, namely yeah. that everybody is equal under the law, that everybody has to uh, carry out their responsibilities as as equal citizens, and that property rights shall be maintained. The government is the the, the, the supreme court of this country, for want of a better phrase, that it makes the rules, it makes the law. And that's essentially well, what, what Seymour is trying to say, that, that Parliament yeah. is, is sovereign, government is sovereign, and that everybody is equal. That's really what he's trying to say. Now, what you've suggested is uh, it, it's emerged through the Magna Carta and through the Age of Enlightenment yeah. in, yeah. The, in the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries in Europe, and yep. that was being brought yep. to New Zealand. But Yep, the Ten Commandments. Yep. Yeah. yep, that's right. It was a portal. The treaty was a portal through which this could come. And the British were fine with what was going on here, but they said, please, the, um, they said to Captain Hobson, be careful about letting the locals um, observe their own customs as far as these are compatible with the universal maxims of humanity and morals. And then he said, but the savage practices of human sacrifice and cannibalism must be promptly and decisively interdicted. Such atrocities, under whatever plea of religion they may take place, are not to be tolerated within any part of the dominions of the British Crown. And remember, they had just abolished slavery. So they wanted to protect the chiefs and tribes from their own bad practices. And that meant that they had to, the chiefs and tribes had to surrender their authority to the higher authority of the British common law and the Ten Commandments. And uh, we've got to accept that. And this is why it gets very interesting when the great Maori prophet T.W. Ratana, uh, sorry, T.W. Ratana, he held the Bible in one hand and the treaty in the other and said, this is how we proceed with the Bible in one hand and the treaty in the other and stating openly that the, the Christian Bible and the treaty were completely intermeshed because the Ten Commandments had finally taken root in New Zealand. So under the Ten Commandments, honour your father and your mother, all these people, Tea Party, Maori, whatever they call themselves, have a, uh, many of them have either a white or an oriental father or mother. So they should be honouring, and they might have a Maori one somewhere in there. They should be honouring both sides of their lineage 
and getting on with their lives and stop bearing false witness against colonialism and, and defying the, the God of the Christian world who asks us all to live in peace and to get along and be honest. Instead of telling lies about each other and submitting ourselves to all this contention and coveting other people's stuff, which is muru, which is plundering and taking from others, that's that was all surrendered. And holy stories, which are, are lies and superstition, have to be surrendered. And this Utu, this reciprocity, payback and revenge, also was surrendered. But now it's being revived by people who've, who've taken on these old gods and who are reviving this warfare. So, Chris, was, so Chris, tell me, yep. what's what are you trying to, what are you trying to, um, what point are you trying to make with your book, Fraud, Plunder, Treason, that, and Our Treaty? What are you and, trying to uh, have New Zealand society think? Our treaty belongs to us, not to any government, not to not to any separatist race based group but it belongs to all of us and it's a consent for us to rule ourselves under the um, the British common law, which allows the Ten Commandments and all that uh, high-level civilised society to exist here. And in the way of that, we've had the fraud, which we now explain the government entered a fraud in 1875, uh, no, sorry, 1975, when it passed a fake document and uh, that that... That's a real issue. That's like passing around fake counterfeit currency. Plunder is where the iwi corporations have been ripping off the people of New Zealand for their own personal benefit, stealing assets which belong to all of us because the land... Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. These were were treaty settlements, and frankly, they're not very big in terms of the, 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 the total value of them so far. It's what... Two billion, maybe by the time we're finished, it'll be three billion, which is a very small percentage of what many claim was stolen, confiscated from Maori, particularly back in the 19th century. Anyway, in, in the land wars, in the New Zealand wars. I was just, I was just, I, we can go there, but I'm just going through fraud, plunder, and treason because the book available at NewmanPress.com explains <laughs> in a lot of, you know, explain how to do that. Has to explain at newmanpress.com, it has to get into each of these. There's only four chapters. That <laughs> makes it easier to read because each of these is what's happened. The plundering is definitely going on under the socialism. And uh, uh, people are getting um, rich at the expense of others. And in the name of their so-called our people, shouldn't we all be our people? Shouldn't we all be one people? That was the point. Governor Hobson shook each chief's hand and said, we are now one people. And he said, well, maybe Harry. maybe he did. Maybe he did. That was never reported until 50 years after the event, Chris. Uh, that may well, or may have not stuff. have happened. Sorry? <laughs> we didn't have stuff. No, we didn't have we stuff. Didn't we didn't have the New Zealand Herald. There were no cameras rolling that particular morning <laughs> no. back at uh, Waitangi either. But Colenso no. never wrote about that uh, until 50 years no. after the event. So we That's don't know whether true. or not... Hobson actually said, uh, you know, we are one people in 1840. Okay. (laughs) But the idea was under the British uh, subjects, under the Queen, we are all British subjects. Yeah, sure. That is the point. Precisely. And and there was no Aotearoa. It was called New Tirani. Yeah, correct. And uh, and the treason is where people are plundering and going against and making up lies – and destroying the integrity of our country and and upsetting the security of our nation using this stuff. 
to uh, using this dissent and these arguments. And all these people, as I put out again, they claim to be of Maori descent, but we don't know what a Maori is anymore. The chiefs and tribes have gone long ago, and should they be resurrected, I'm sure they'd box the ears of a lot of these guys who run around pretending to be Maori. Look at someone like Tama Iti. He's nothing but a um, Maoist. He is actually just out and out Chinese communist Maoist, pretending to be a Maori. But his whole philosophy is Maoist are revolutionary, radical revolutionary. And when the Chinese people here saw the portraits of Tama Iti standing there uh, in 1975 or whenever it was in China under this portrait of Mao Zedong, while their people were undergoing tremendous civil war because of Mao Zedong, they knew exactly who he is, Tama Iti, and these people who follow him. So we've got this heavy, radical, rebellious, revolutionary, uh, treasonous element that has come in through the so-called uh, race division, which was um, pushed into New Zealand through um, Matt Rata's uh, fake uh, well, well, the point is, Chris, that there yep. are seven Māori seats in the House of Representatives. Uh, six of yep. them uh, are now mm. held by a party which is um, an activist Māori rights yep. party, and we can't do much about that because the people who have registered for those electorates have spoken. Uh, we are recording this interview before the swearing-in of the 54th Parliament, so who who knows what's going well, to happen when well, it actually uh, comes uh, to the swearing-in. But my point uh, is like that, that I think yeah. the, the, the horse has bolted. I mean, you are, making, you are making claims, many of which I'm sure are factually correct, but yeah. we have got to a stage in 2023, Chris, where there is a certain yeah. narrative, and to use the old phrase, the horse has bolted. Uh, so, there might not be any coming back from no. what we so are we being told we, to think. We have to, yeah, we have to now start to look at living in a lie. So we're living in a lie. The parliament is in fraud. The Maoris aren't Maoris. The um, the money that's being plundered, uh, the settlements, a lot of them are plunder because they're never contested or challenged or evaluated according to the, the, the treaty condition said that we all consented to British law. And British law means that claims are allowed to be examined and they're not being examined. So they're saying honour the treaty, but they're not honouring the treaty. And they're saying there is a treaty, but it's te tiriti o Waitangian Māori, not the Freeman document. So we're dealing with this litany of lies and everyone's running around all excited and worked up about it. And it's what Lenin would call useful idiots. Because this is the plan. This is how this is how you break a country by creating this kind of nonsense. And the leadership is too weak and lacking in moral courage to stand for anything except convenience. And uh, you know, as Thomas Sowell says, a, a lot of instead of doing what's right, you know, people have, have, have done what looked good. And um, so that you reap the consequences of that. And in the end, it leads to revolution. Of course, that's that's what. Um, the leaders of Te Party Māori are up to. They want revolution. But we've got and a government. So we've got a government, Chris, where there are three prongs to it. Three parties in the government. The leaders yeah. of two of those parties claim Māori heritage. We have a cabinet of twenty members with a higher proportion of people with uh, Māori ethnicity in, in it than ever before. So well, what, what about looking at their other ethnicity? Yeah, true. But, but I guess English, what we're Chinese, saying, Japanese. <laughs> hmm? I guess what I'm saying is that uh, inside 
Māoridom, and that is a very uh, wide-ranging group. Uh, there are just yeah. as many political views as there are inside Pakihadom, if that's a word. Well, the, <laughs> okay, this is it. You see, we're hitting on good points here, Peter. We're getting right into it, and you've oh, let me explain why I think um, everything's gone to pot because it's based on lies. And the the technique that's being used. So, can I explain how tikanga works? Well, if you've got a, thirty seconds or, or a minute, uh, no longer. I can because, knock it on the head. Okay, tell me because <laughs> I'll be, I understand I'll be going it's for a very commercial break. I understand it's a very complicated process. No, no. Are we going for a commercial break or are we all good? No, we're all good. Carry on. <laughs> okay, so the tikanga is Maori tribal control system. And it has the unruly principles of the law of the jungle. So, um, but the Rangatira class under the treaty agreed to surrender their tikanga to civilization and to British English law, British law. So the tikanga works through the chief. So the chief has to um, have the might and the power to dictate to the tribe what's going to go. Now, the first thing that happens when, when, when the tikanga gets going is the holy story, the tapu is made up. And nowadays, the holy story is, oh, Maori are underprivileged. Maori, we stole all their land. Maori are this, Maori are that. And they're better than us. They're more spiritual than us. Their families are better than ours or whatever it is. And so there's a holy story. They're the most spiritual of people. And then their mana comes out. And the mana is, yeah, I've got standing. I've got status. I've got ego. You know, I've got to, you've got to listen to me because I've got authority here. And then the plunder, the hand comes out for the claim. Give me land, give me money. I'm going to run a racket. I need the money for it. I've got a foundation and I'm going to do all this and that. And finally is Utu, which is revenge. I've got one on top of you guys. I've got the money that proves it. And that's exactly what Matt Rata did when he put the words of Freeman, the secretary, over Captain Hobson and used them to set up a system of plunder. He did it perfectly within the world. So I've taken the effort of learning the, the thinking of the tribalism and getting into their head and seeing how they see the world because there's a way of looking at the world through tikanga eyes. And that's why you get your head tattooed and you become a rangatira and a chief. So this means when we look at it more deeply that the rights of the treaty, which is private property rights, have not been extended down to the marae yet. And the chiefs, the so-called bosses there, are busy fighting it off and making us pay them while they keep their members on the plantation and in submission to their rule so that the, 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 collective, the collectiveness of, of the so-called Maoridom is a, is a version of socialism. Politically, it's socialism at a very low grade. And that's what's happening in front of our very eyes. Well, I think it's even socialism. worse than socialism. I think there are some aspects of Rangatira Tango which are pretty close to dictatorships, what the Rangatira says goes. And that's I just it. don't know how much democracy there is inside uh, well, many uh, Māori or iwi organisations. Just saying, just saying. Anyway. That's it, Peter. So yeah. that, means that, the, that means that they are not honouring the treaty. They are not on while they assert that control and domination over their other poor members. And you know, I, I lived in Aussie for a long time, and a lot of good so called Maori or Marae people have gone over there to get away from the hell of it. They said, I'm here because I'm free of being dominated, told what to think, and made to step in line to run their politics. 
I don't want to do that. I'd rather live in Australia. All right, Chris. And you go over there and ask them. Yep. I, uh, I, uh, I, I understand that. All righty. Thank you so, for, for yeah. talking with us this morning. <laughs> um, it's been a wide-ranging discussion. I don't know what we've actually accomplished here, but we've covered an awful lot of ground, and you've come up with some intriguing concepts. Uh, uh, your book, yeah. Fraud, Plunder, Treason, and Our Treaty, will no doubt explain a lot more but i newmanpress.com newmanpress.com and i'll I'll handwrite your address and send it to you (laughs) very good hey nice talking to you chris (laughs) best wishes thanks a lot thank you peter thank you for tuning in to rcr reality check radio if you like what you're listening to just like what you're listening to either way we want to hear from you get in touch with us now You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057, or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.